The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 1 in verse 6 this morning, so if you are physically able, I'd like to ask you to stand as we read our passage this morning. We're going to read down to verse 18. So starting in verse 6, she, speaking of Naomi and her daughters-in-law, set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. They said to her, We insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, and to her gods follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you, or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me, and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Let's pray. Father, thank you just for your goodness and your love for us when we are experiencing pain. Thank you for the hope that we have in pain because of who you have made us to be in Christ. Thank you for the hope of heaven that we have, that whether our pain that we're experiencing here on earth is short-term in this life or if it lasts for our entire lives on this earth, we have the hope that there is coming a day when all pain will be gone. Thank you for that promise, God. I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, encourage hearts that need encouraging, convict where we need conviction, God, and comfort those who are hurting and experiencing pain this morning, God. Do only what you can do, God. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Men, you may be seated. Pain is necessary for human thriving. That's a cheery way to start a sermon, isn't it? <laughs> pain is necessary for human thriving. I mean, think about it. Our physical growth is often very painful. Uh, whether that be at the gym when we're trying to get into shape, oftentimes we're sore afterwards. That's good. That means you're getting into better shape. Or maybe it's the growing pains that many of us had as children. Physical growth often brings very real pain. Going through painful experiences often brings growth in our lives. And while none of us like pain, none of us like going through those difficult circumstances, all of us can think back to specific times in our lives that were painful, things that we did not like, things that we wished maybe had never happened, but were thankful because of the growth that we saw through those painful times. Pain sometimes brings growth. Growth almost always brings pain. So pain is necessary. Pain is part of growing. 
But pain also warns us of danger. The reason something hurts physically is because it's often harmful to our bodies. It's a line of defense that God built into the human body. Our life expectancy would be much, much shorter if we did not experience pain of any type whatsoever. Uh, earlier this year, I was hiking uh, in Yosemite Valley, and I was just up there for the day. I wasn't doing any uh, intense or extreme hikes. It had rained and sprinkled a little bit that morning. The clouds looked really cool. So I was just walking around, enjoying the hike, trying to get some cool pictures, enjoying being outside. And uh, I was trying to get this picture that spread from El Capitan all the way over to Eagle Peak. Uh, if you see, if you've been there, there's El Capitan, there's the falls, and then there's Eagle Peak. And I was trying to get this uh, perfect photo. And as I was walking, I saw this big, huge boulder. And I thought, man, if I scramble up there, I could probably get a decent picture. And so I scramble up on top of the boulder. I'm taking pictures. And remember, it had rained earlier that morning. And I went to go take a step to take another photo. And as all my weight went on my left foot, I hit a wet, slick spot on that granite. And my leg instantly shot out from underneath me. And in that moment, that instant moment, everything just started to go into slow motion. And my first thought was, I can't believe I'm falling. Talk about rookie hour, Nick. My second thought was, this is going to hurt. My third thought was, don't drop your phone. And my final thought was, man, I really hope nobody sees me. This is so embarrassing. Well, as I was slipping, gravity did what gravity does, and I fell, and I was right. It hurt. The only thing that was bruised more than my backside in that moment was my ego. But good news, I did get a picture. I think we got it up here on the screen. Yeah, there it is. There's El Capitan, and there's, there's Eagle Peak. Uh, and I had a bruise on myself for several weeks. Uh, as a trophy to that picture. Uh, anyways, the pain I was feeling was letting me know that falling was bad for my health. Pain lets us know something bad is happening. So pain is good. Pain is actually a good thing. We may not like it, but it serves a vital purpose. And our physical response to pain is what? It's often to pull back from the source of that pain, isn't it? You touch a hot stove and instantly your hand pulls back without even thinking about it. It's this built-in self-preservation instinct that we have. It's good. It's how we protect ourselves. Uh, but we do the same thing sometimes with types of pain that aren't physical. Just like we pull back from physical pain, oftentimes we pull back from other types of pain as well. It's an act of self-preservation. It's an act of trying to get away with the unhealthy thing that's causing this pain. But the problem is with types of pain that aren't physical, we often pull back from the wrong things. All of us have experienced pain. All of us have been through difficult seasons. I know many of us are in one of those seasons right now. And the pain seems all-consuming. It seems so real. Sometimes it's the only thing that we can think and we can feel. If we're not going through something, mark it down. Because we live in a broken world, you will experience pain in the future. And how we walk through that pain has huge ramifications for how we experience what God wants to do in our lives through that pain. What we're going to see in our text this morning is that committing to God in our pain, committing to God when we're going through those difficult circumstances, deepening our commitment to Christ. That's one of our three purposes. That's our very first one, commitment to Christ. As we commit to God in our pain, that enables us to grow through our pain. When we deepen our commitment to God, even though we're going through a painful circumstance, a painful experience, we will grow and we will change for the better. This morning, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to walk through, uh, we're going to look at how to walk through our pain as we're continuing our series through the Old Testament book of the Bible called Ruth. Uh, this morning, we're going to see how Ruth and her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law walked through and responded to the pain in their lives. Last week, we saw that the mess that their life was in. 
We saw how they had stepped outside of God's plan, and we saw what that was doing to their life and the havoc it wreaked on their life. And this morning, what we're going to look at is how they responded and how they walked through it and how we can respond and walk through our pain as well. On your way in, you should have received a service program guide. There's an outline inside there that you can use to follow along as we study God's Word together this morning. If you're our guest here this morning, man, we are so thankful that you came to worship with us. In that same service program, there's a connection card that you can fill out. You want to drop that off at the Great Welcome Tent on your way out. We have a small gift that we'd like to give you just to say thanks for visiting this morning. Well, my, right, my wife read our entire text uh, just a moment ago, but I want to draw your attention back to verse number 9. Verse number 9, Naomi's convincing she's trying to tell her daughter-in-laws to leave and she says in verse 9 may the lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband she kissed them and they wept loudly we see this again in verse number 14 again they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law but ruth clung to her our first thought this morning that we want to look at as we are walking through our pain this morning is we need to be honest about what we're feeling be honest about what you're feeling you see, a lot of times when we're going through painful circumstance, when there's painful things in our life, our default reaction is to hide it or to ignore it. Oftentimes we'll put up a facade to, to make it look like everything's okay. One of the things that we pull back from, one of the wrong things that we often pull back from in our pain is the very reality that pain is in our lives. We try to convince ourselves, if I just ignore it, if I just pretend like it's not there, maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll take care of itself. Maybe it won't hurt anymore if I ignore the pain that's festering inside of me. But church, I want to remind us of Ecclesiastes 3.4. It says, there's a time to weep. It says, there's a time to mourn. Our struggle is we don't often want to admit that we're in a time to weep or mourn. We don't like admitting that something hurts because if we admit something hurts, maybe that means I'm weak. If I admit the pain, maybe that's going to that's gonna mean I don't have my life all together. Maybe people are going to think I don't have my life all together. Maybe sometimes, and, I, and I've been here, I just don't want to deal with it, and so I try to ignore it. I try to pretend like it's not there, and I'm not honest about what I'm feeling. But friends, I want to encourage us with what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn. How upside down in our thinking is that? Blessed are those who mourn. Why? He goes on to say, for they will be comforted. Jesus promises to meet us right where we are at in our pain, but not where we often pretend to be. Acknowledging the fact that there's pain in your life doesn't mean you're less of a person. It just means you are a person. And Jesus promises, I will meet you in that pain. I will meet you right where you are at. But oftentimes, I miss out on the comfort that Jesus wants to give me, that Jesus has promised to give me, because I'm not acknowledging that the fact that I am mourning. We as a society in Western culture don't do well with suffering. We don't do well with pain. To use a biblical word, we don't lament well. And sometimes we miss out on what God wants to do, the comfort that he wants to give us, because we're just not honest about what we're feeling. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it hurts. It's so real. But I want us to notice in both of these verses that we just read that pain is not permanent. Ecclesiastes, yes, there's a time for weeping and mourning, but there's also a time for what? For laughing, for dancing. There will be a time to celebrate again. There will be moments, and right now in your pain, you don't think it, you can't feel it, you can't picture it, but there will be a time when you can celebrate again. There will be a time when you can laugh again. Jesus said that if you're mourning, you will 
be comforted. Friends, your pain is not final. Your pain does not get the last word in your life. And because it doesn't get the last word in your life, you're free to be honest with yourself. You're free to be honest with God. You're free to say, I don't like this. I hate this. But this is where I'm at, God, and this is what I'm feeling. Psalm 55, 22 tells us to cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. God promises to sustain us if we're honest about what we're feeling and we cast that burden back to him. Psalm 55, 22 goes on to say, he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. When we're walking through our pain, we must be honest about what we're feeling. Now I want you to also notice something, that, something else that Naomi did as she's walking through her pain. Let's read verse number 13. Uh, she's, she's trying to convince them to go, and we'll skip to the second half of the verse. She says, no, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share. Get this, because God's hand has turned against me. As Naomi is telling her daughters to leave, she's blaming God for all the difficulties, for all the pain that she's experiencing. Now, in a sense, she's got a, the right view of God's sovereignty. Like, God's in control, right? We know God's in control. God is in control of everything that happens. And yes, they did step outside of God's plan for blessing, but it wasn't God's fault they left Bethlehem. As we saw last week, they should not have left Bethlehem. What we see taking place here is something that we so often, when we're in our pain, something that we often fall into the trap of. And that's a refusal to take a responsibility for our pain. That's our next thought. Take responsibility for your pain. Now, I want to say something up front. I'm not saying take responsibility for what caused your pain. A lot of us are in painful situations and we're going through difficulties and it's not any fault of our own. I might even make that same argument for Naomi. Like we saw last week, her, her husband Elimelech led them to do things that God did not want them to do and now they're in this mess. I wouldn't even necessarily place the blame on Naomi. It was Elimelech's fault. So oftentimes in our pain, it's not always our fault. So I'm not saying if somebody has sinned against you, you need to take responsibility for their sin. We're not saying if you lost somebody in your life, it's your fault. Now, sometimes our pain is our fault. Sometimes we do things that make our lives difficult. But regardless of what causes the pain, it's human nature to try and place the responsibility of our pain on something or someone else. Because we think, if I don't own the pain, then I don't have to fix it. If I don't own the pain, maybe it'll go away. If I don't own the pain, then I can avoid it. We're afraid to take responsibility of it because that means we have to acknowledge that it's real. Many of us have pain in our lives that did not originate with us. A lot of us have pain in our lives that did originate with us. But until we take responsibility for the pain itself, we will always be a victim. And church, I want to remind us, God did not save us to be victims. God saved us to be conquerors. Yeah, it's true. You might be the victim of somebody else's sin, but God doesn't want you to stay there. Psalm 34, 19 says, one who is righteous has many adversities. Don't you love it when the scripture just tells it like it is? One who is righteous, one who loves God, has what? Many adversities. <laughs> has a lot of pain. But get this, the Lord rescues him from them all. Friends, regardless of what caused the pain, whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault, your pain, your past that caused your pain will never eliminate your future hope. 
Elimelech's sin and leading his family outside of God's will did not eliminate Naomi's future hope. But she wasn't owning it. She wasn't saying, this is where I'm at. And what she was doing was she has the potential to miss what God is doing. You are never without hope because the grace of God is bigger than your past. The grace of God is bigger than the sin that was committed towards you. The grace of God is bigger than the sin that you've committed. It's bigger than your pain. It's stronger than your pain. And because God's grace is bigger, we can own what we're feeling. We can take responsibility for our pain. We can say, like it or not, love it or not, my fault or not, I'm going to take responsibility for this part of my life. It's where I'm at. It's what's going on. So I'm going to take responsibility for the pain so that I can grow through the pain. We can't change anything that we don't take responsibility for. And if we want healing, if we want to experience the growth that God wants to bring, we have to take responsibility for our pain. Now what I want to do is I want to compare and contrast Ruth to Naomi a little bit. Naomi is here and she's blaming God. She's saying God's hand's against me. She's convinced it doesn't matter what happens. God's hand's against me. My life is over. And in a lot of ways, she was in a bad spot. But while she is blaming God, what does Ruth do? Look at verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, but Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not to follow you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. While, Ru- uh, while Naomi is blaming God, Ruth is here, and she's just owning this whole situation. She's like, yes, this is a mess. Yes, this is painful. Yes, I don't have it all figured out. But Naomi, I am with you, lock, stock, and barrel. I am committed to you because I am committed to God. There was no running. There was no blaming. What we see is this deepening of commitment. And let's be honest, I'm guessing Naomi wasn't an easy person to live with. You say, why do you say that, Pastor Nick? Look at verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Here's Ruth. She's like, man, Naomi, I am with you, lock, stock, and barrel, till death do us part. And Naomi gives her the silent treatment. Not even so much as a thank you. Just cold shoulder, man, I'm going, whatever. But why could Ruth do that? Because her commitment was to God. She was deepening in her commitment to God. And as she deepened in her commitment to God, Naomi was reaping the benefits of that. The expression of her commitment was to Naomi, but ultimately her commitment was to God. Committing to God in our pain, going deeper in that commitment to him is what enables us to grow through our pain. Ruth's commitment to God was fleshed out through her commitment to Naomi, which leads us to our next thought this morning. We need to lean into community with God's people. Naomi was pushing the only people left she had in her life. She was pushing them away. She's saying, leave me. Just leave. This is a hopeless situation. There's no point for you to be here anymore. Leave. But what Ruth was doing, Ruth was putting covenantal love on display. When it says that she clung to her, that Hebrew word there has the same idea of a marriage. That's how deep her commitment was. She's like, I am with you till death do us part. Literally, that's what she's saying. Where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. I am with you in this thing. She is deepening in her commitment to God. So while Naomi is pushing people away, Ruth is leaning into community. And remember, this is her pain as well. 
Naomi lost, or Ruth lost her husband as well. And in that pain, she is leaning into community. Oftentimes in seasons of intense pain, we feel very lonely. Every painful situation is different. Every painful circumstance is unique. And we think to ourselves, no one understands. And it's true, it's hard to understand. Because everybody's story is different. Everybody's story is unique. There's no carbon copy paint. It's just, it's, it's different. Because we live in a broken world and we're different people. It is sometimes hard to understand. But because we think nobody's understand, we get into this very lonely mindset. And what happens is, because we think nobody understands, we start to isolate ourselves. And as we isolate ourselves, we intensify the loneliness, which amplifies the thinking that nobody understands, which causes us to further isolate ourselves, which causes us to feel more lonely. Do you see the spiral? Isolation allows our thinking to become circular. Nobody understands, and so I isolate myself. Nobody understands, and now I'm lonely. Why am I lonely? Nobody gets me. Nobody understands, and our isolation allows this thinking to become circular, and we go round and round in our minds until this has become a concrete truth. And because we're so isolated, we don't have anybody to break that circular thinking to remind us of the promises of God, to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. In what feels like an act of self-preservation, we isolate ourselves. Because let's face it, sometimes when we're hurting, people say very unhelpful things, don't they? I have been on the end of those. I have some stories when we were going through the whole situation with my dad. I have some stories. They weren't funny in the moment. We kind of chuckle at them now because what else are you going to do? But people say very unhelpful things. And so sometimes we think isolating myself, it's this act of self-preservation. But friends, isolation is never an act of self-preservation. It actually leads to self-deterioration. And we miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us, through community, through our relationships. Sometimes in that isolation, we create all these reasons for why we can't do community with people. Well, they're not good enough. Oh, well, there's this. Oh, well, there's that. Well, they they said something that wasn't helpful. And we create all these lists and all these rules. And I I can relate. I've done this. Like, I, I create these lists and these rules. And before I know it, nobody in my life is good enough for me to be real with. And nobody's good enough in my life for me to be honest with. And when we're hurting, this is really easy to do because people don't understand, and people are sometimes unhelpful. And what happens is we miss out on what God wants to do. I love the example that Jesus gives us in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 7 and 38. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And taking along Peter, the Bible says, and the two sons of Zebedee, these are his three closest friends. He has his disciples, and then this is like the inner ring of his disciples. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Here's Jesus in arguably one of the darkest hours of his life, knowing what's coming down the road, knowing in just a few short hours he was going to be put through a mock trial, he was going to be wrongfully arrested, he was going to be crucified, and then God, his Father, was going to place all the sin of mankind on him and pour out his wrath on him. Jesus knew what was coming. And in this moment, he is overwhelmed with grief. He tells his three closest friends, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. This hurts so much, I don't even want to be alive anymore. Would you just stay here with me? Would you just remain with me? Would you just stay awake with me? In Jesus' darkest hour, we see him leaning into community with his friends. Now, here's why this is so challenging to me. 
Jesus, he's asking these people, would you just stay here with me? But he knew full well they were going to abandon him. He's asking them to pray with them, knowing full well that they were going to fall asleep on him. He's leaning into community with people who he knows are not going to stay true. He knows they're going to abandon him. Yet he leaned into community with him. You see, the danger that presents itself in our pain is that because our situation is unique, we think we have nobody to do community with. We have nobody to lean into. But the problems of other people should not keep us from leaning into community. The problems of other people should not lean into relationships. Yes, it's true. It's hard. People say difficult things. It's hard. It's messy. All of us had said difficult things. All of us have done things that were like, oh man, I don't think that was helpful. And all of us have experienced that. But if we have this expectation that community has to be this absolutely perfect thing that always gets it 100% right, we actually miss out on the good thing that it is. And we miss out on the good that God wants to do through our imperfect relationships. To fully heal from pain, you need the help of other people in your life. Committing to God, committing to the body of Christ in our pain enables us to grow through our pain. I mean, we see this all throughout the New Testament. You could go to Romans 12, depend on each other as one body in Christ, verse 5. Verse 15, weep with one another. Romans 15, 14 tells us to counsel and teach one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 tells us to care for one another. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on and on throughout the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, what we see is we're trying to isolate ourselves and the scriptures is pushing us back into community because we need each other. Leaning into community with God's people is vital when walking through your pain. In our Grief Share focus group, uh, there was a, uh, a video story of a lady named Carla who lost her husband to a heart attack. And the video shares her journey towards healing that came through leaning into community. Let's watch her story. Carla's husband died suddenly of a heart attack. As she grieved his death, Carla discovered that if she was going to stay connected to her friends, she had to focus on what they still had in common. There was a real temptation for me to define myself, now based on my differences with my friends instead of the things that we once held in common. When I define my friendships based on our differences and see myself as outside or so different, um, then I've really isolated myself. They didn't isolate me, I've done it myself. And truth is helpful. What we still share, what I still share with my friends, is that um, God is most important to us. We love God, love other people. And that um, although, yeah, there are many new things, many differences, the values that we have and the truth of God's word doesn't change. As Carla continues to heal, She's found that caring for her friends has also helped her maintain her relationships. As we mourn, certainly I've seen this most in me and my daughter. You go through a period where people care for you profoundly. And the time comes, and it's different for everyone, where we're able to look back at the other people and care for them again. I find that those friendships that seemed to me to be suddenly so different are all still very much intact. Ultimately, Carla's faith in God keeps her from giving up on her friends. 
the truth is that God can equip other people to care for us. So I just want to be grateful for their friendship and, and uh, you know, give them room to grow in this thing just like we're growing in this thing. I, I would rather walk through life with our friends and suffer an occasional unhelpful attempt than walk through this without them. So I'm grateful for their care. It's easy to fall into the thinking nobody understands or things are so different now. And in the process, fall into isolation. But God brings healing through our relationship. So how do we walk through our pain in a way that brings healing? First of all, we're honest about what we're feeling. We take responsibility for our pain. Maybe not what caused it. Maybe what caused it, but maybe not what caused it. But the pain itself, we take responsibility for. And then we lean into community with God's people. And finally, we trust God despite the unknown. Naomi had no idea that she was about to no longer be destitute. I mean, in her mind, she's done, right? She had no way of making a living at this point in human history. She had nobody to take care of her. She had no more sons. She had no more family. She thought... There was nothing left for her daughters. She thought, there's, there's, there's no more reason for you to be committed to this family. There's nobody left for you to marry. She's looking at the situation. She's trying to make the best sense out of it from her perspective. But her perspective is a little bit skewed here. I mean, basically what she's saying is she's like, I hope God blesses you as you go back and find a new husband and go back to worshiping your false gods. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a good recipe to enjoy God's rest and peace, right? Worshiping false gods. Naomi tells her daughters-in-laws, look, there's no one left for you to marry. There's, there's no point in you being here. What she's saying is, there's no kinsman redeemer. She tells them, or she's referring to a custom, that when an Israelite husband died, his brother or near relative was to marry the widow and continue his brother's name. This is in Deuteronomy 25. How many of you ladies are glad that custom didn't make it? Right? You're like, man, I love my husband, but his brother's a goofball, man. I would not want to be stuck with that guy. Naomi, she's referring to this custom in verse number 11. And she's telling uh, Ruth and Orpah, she's like, look, this is hopeless for y'all. I got no more sons. And if I did, if I were to get married tonight, and if I were to start having a baby tonight, and that baby would be born in exactly nine months, are you going to stick around and wait for him to grow up? She's like, you're not going to wait around 20, maybe 30 years for this guy to be ready to get married? She's kind of taking a jab at him, saying like, you ladies aren't that young anymore. That's what she's telling them. She's like, you can't stick around and wait that long. It'd be better for you if you would just go. Apparently, she doesn't remember that there was a kinsman redeemer. His name was Boaz. You see, God was, he, he had all this figured out, but Naomi, from her perspective, she didn't remember that, and she's trying to figure it out. And potentially, she's about to make things worse. In fact, it wasn't just Boaz. There was another guy that could have gotten married. Orpah could have stuck around too. She allows Naomi to convince her, and so she goes back, but if she would have stayed, she could have been taken care of as well. You get into the next chapter, spoiler, there's a little bit of a showdown. Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but he's not the next guy in line. This is a weird custom when you say it out loud. Um, so he's got to go convince this other guy, hey, let me marry Ruth. The other guy's like, I don't want to marry a Moabite. All right, you can have her. 
So there was more than one kinsman redeemer. There was more than one person. God had a plan. God was working this all out. But when we don't trust God in our pain, we often miss out on what God wants to do, and we make a bad situation seem worse. Yes, we're often in very hard circumstances. Yes, pain can be all-consuming. Naomi was in a bad place. She lost her husband. She lost her son. She was completely destitute. But all the while, God was quietly working behind the scenes to not only take care of their immediate needs, which he does, and he does splendidly. Boaz was a pretty well-to-do guy. He took care of them. Not only was God working behind the scenes to take care of their immediate needs, but God was working behind the scenes to literally change the course of human history. Naomi had no idea that God was moving the pieces in place to set up the lineage of King David, the king who would set the standard in Israel for the rest of history. Not only was he setting up the lineage of King David, he was setting up the lineage of the Messiah. We are still reaping the benefits of what happened in this story thousands and thousands of years later. Reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Naomi, she's here, she's trying to rely on her own understanding. But Ruth was trusting God despite the unknown. Naomi was saying, go back to your old gods. Ruth was saying, your God's my God. Naomi's saying, go back to your old home. And Ruth's like, no, your home is my home. Because of Ruth's commitment to God, we are here today. So even in our painful circumstances, they often bring up this insecurity and this feeling like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is all going to work out. We can trust God. Because God is a good father who loves to take care of his kids. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller says, While God's ways are often just as hard to see as a parent's ways are to an infant. That's not Tim Keller. That's J.R.R. Tolkien. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, as God's ways are just as hard to see, or uh, God's ways are often just as hard to see as a parent's are to an infant. My children do not often understand why I tell them what to do. And they let me know in royal fashion, Daddy, we do not approve of this. <laughs> I have one daughter. Um, she will scream and scream and scream at bedtime. Bedtime to her is like the devil, and she just does not want to go there. And she will scream and scream and scream. I tell her on a regular basis, sweetheart, baby girl, your stubbornness is going to change the world one day. But neither one of us are going to make it through tonight if you just don't go to bed. <laughs> she does not understand. I'm trying to help her do what's best for her. God's ways are often just as hard to see as a parent's are to an infant. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing, and we cry out that we don't like it, and we cry out to God, and like Naomi, we say, God, this is all your fault, or we say, God, I don't understand this. But still, we can trust that our Heavenly Father is caring for us and is present with us to guide and protect us in all circumstances of life. God's a good God that loves to take care of His kids. And we can trust him that he will see us through our pain. Faith in God sees beyond the current setbacks. Friends, there is hope in your pain. There will be joy on the other side of your pain. There will be freedom on the other side of your pain. And just like we see with Ruth's story, there will be life for you and life for others on the other side of your pain. Just trust God. Trust God despite the unknown. Committing to God in our pain enables us to grow through our pain. J.R.R. Tolkien, now I'll show his picture. 
Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien is best known for his trilogy of books entitled The Lord of the Rings. Forgive me while I nerd out here for a moment, but this is a good illustration. Uh, in the first book of the series, Frodo, the main character, he's overwhelmed with the task that he has been given. It's up to him to destroy this evil ring of power that's going to wipe out the known world and let evil conquer everything. And it's up to him to just take this ring to the place it can be destroyed. And he's overwhelmed because the enemies of darkness are constantly fighting him. And he's overwhelmed by all the evil. And in a moment of despair, he cries out, I wish none of this ever happened. How many of you have ever been there before? The pain in your life is so real and it's all consuming and it's all you can think about and you just cry out, I wish this never happened. You've had moments where it's so strong. You wish it was gone. You just wish it had never happened. But as Frodo wishes out loud that none of this ever happened, his mentor Gandalf the Grey says something incredibly profound. He says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Unfortunately, we don't always get to decide what happens in our lives. We don't always get to decide the pain that we experience. We don't always get to decide the hurt that's going to come our way. But we can decide how we're going to walk through that pain. We can decide to own how we're feeling, to take responsibility for it, be real about it. We can decide to lean into community with God's people, and we can decide to trust God despite the unknown. Henry Frederick Emile said, You desire to know the art of living, my friend? It's contained in one phrase, make use of suffering. One of the main ways we move from an abstract knowledge of God to this personal encounter with him as a living reality is how we walk through our pain. So here's what I want to boil this whole message down to. When you're suffering, commit to suffer well. When you're suffering, commit to grow deeper in your commitment to God. When you're suffering, commit to suffer well. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.